So let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 119 and share a couple of thoughts with you as, as, as you turn there. Looking at the uh, stanza Samek, verses 113. So thankful for um, seeing everyone this morning. I, I've really enjoyed um, being in a small group recently in, up with, with Nathan at Madison Heights and, and Ben. And I just, you know, we t- they took quite a while to just share each other's needs and burdens. And I thought, wow, it's just, it's just so neat to be able to get to know each other so much better by taking the time to, to hearing what they're going through in their life. So I was very thankful for that. So the time we have here this morning is, is a chance to, to do that. The, for the lunch today, I trust you're able to stay. I know it's a little bit hit and miss sometimes. Last week we were with the conference. We did not meet. We announced it two weeks ago. So I, I get it, kind of hit and miss. And people are traveling the spring break at, at LU. I noticed some people were traveling. And, you know, people used to say, yeah, I'm going to Disney. Now I say, well, I'm going down to Florida. I said, really? Which area? Mm, you know, like Orlando. <laughs> really? It's like, so, you know, we don't usually, we don't quite jump in there and say, I'm going to Disney anymore, but I know some are, are traveling and enjoying that, that time off as well. I meant to pray for Govinda, moving next week. I thought about you and saw about anxiety after 15, 16 months of uh, anxious moments building. Uh, that task is complete and, and moving, moving next week. So if you need any help, call Mark Hager. He's a great mover. He's moved. He, could, he loves second floor couches especially those kind of things uh, but you know try to and the, and the last thing i just want to say is uh, in relation to james and jack barker it, it is a good reminder simply of the impact we have on on people that we're not always very very aware of in time and his son came up to us excited about meeting us because when he went through his father's bible he found our names in there as on his prayer list of people that he prayed for, and so he was just excited about meeting us. So it's, it's just neat the, the impact you have on people and, and not, to, not to forget that. All right, uh, verses 113. So let's go ahead, and we, we started this last time. I'm going to come back on this next week. So today I'm just going to jump right into here and give ourselves some time to, to read uh, a few passages, too, that go, that go with this. A good, a good passage, good text, because he, he talks about the double-minded man. We'll, we'll go to James today, James 1 as well, and talk about what that looks like. But let me first read, get back in the context of our passage here, and uh, read in verse 113. He starts out by saying, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope, in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of God, of my God. Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up, that I may be safe, and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. So last week we started here, and uh, we looked at the first passage, just talk about what it means to be a double-minded man. But he starts out with a strong statement here, I hate, I hate the double-minded, the double-minded person. We talked a little bit about that, what it means to, to have regard for the unbelieving man or even the, the believer who, who's double-minded. And, and we talked about what that means, we defined it a little bit. We talked about what it means to use such a strong statement. We talked about uh, C.S. Lewis's comment on this. How do you 
hate how do you hate the sin but love the sinner and he just put that in context of just reminding that uh, we hate them to the extent that we should view them the same way we view ourselves in our own sin. In other words, we, we know that is the case, right? We're much more gracious with our own shortcomings and weaknesses than we are with others. And uh, just talked about how we, we view that, what it means to to hate the sin, and yet still know how to love the sinner and how to make a distinction between those two. So we talked about that two weeks ago. Then we defined what it means to be double-minded, a divided heart, half-hearted. And what we're going to see here from this passage, they're going to have two flows of thought. We're going to have the single-minded person, and we're going to have the double-minded person. And in this, in this stanza, in our uh, eight verses here, he's going to show those two different things. And we're going to see through that uh, the marks of a single-minded man and the marks of a double-minded person. And so when we think, oh, I see that, no, that notebook that John's looking at. So if, parenthesis here for the, for the um, directory. If there's something that you don't want, like you don't want an email or you don't want a phone number, mark it off so we know you don't want that list in there. I meant to, to specify that as well. Your picture is what it is. If you want to crop it and, and Photoshop it, make yourself look 10 years younger, you can. Take a few wrinkles. There's a lot of apps for that. You're welcome to submit something like that too. As long as we can still recognize you, uh, I'm fine with that. So we, took, we went to two passages, and we're actually going to the second one today. We went to First Kings. Talk about the prophets of Baal, and he when when the prophet Elijah comes to them and says in First Kings eighteen, he, uh, he he tells the the people the people of God he says you know how long will you be uh, limping between two different opinions? So that's the double minded word being used here. Two different opinions uh, is if the Lord is God, follow Him; but if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not answer him a word. So we saw a little bit already a few observations from that text what it means to be um, double-minded it means to have two different opinions and we we pulled out a few applications from first kings 18 when he uses that one he uses the description several times in that passage about what it means to limp i'm just getting this caught up a little bit most of you were here but some of you were not so he talks about the picture being they're limping so he's describing the people that are you're not making um you're having two different opinions you're you're double-minded and he, gives, he describes what it means to, to limp figuratively, of course. Um, but also, what does it mean functionally? A lot of believers are limping. They're limping along because they're not, they're not, they're not striving. They're not walking well and stride because they're, they're limping along because they're double-minded and their passions are, are divided. So we talked about that in First, in First Kings 18. We saw how they have split allegiances. And I thought interesting, too, that he, he specifies in our... Elijah's passage that when he challenges them to take a position and and choose a side and to be all in on one side or the other, it says that people did not answer him a word, meaning they were speechless. They were not able to stand up with conviction. They were not able to speak truth because they, in their heart, had been divided. So, interesting passage in 1 Kings 18. Now, the one we're going to look at today, our second passage is uh, our definition there, the double mind in James 1. So if you go to James chapter 1, we, it's hard not to go to this passage because he talks about what it means to be a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what I want to do today is, is we'll start here in whatever time we have and then walk through, going back through the, the marks of a single-minded person in this stanza. But I want us to go to James 1 and make some observations of what a double-minded person looks like. Listen, I mean... 
ultimately, I'm, I'm trying to get this caught up a little bit in our minds and what we're talking about, but ultimately, um, we, we want to be single-minded people. We want to, be, we want to have a passion such for God that's not rivaled by other passions. Uh, by other passions, rather, we want to 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 trust the Lord and know the Lord without having this, the divided affections. And it's very easy to have divided affections. It's very easy to have conflicting emotions. Uh, and how, how do you respond to that? And how do we commit ourselves to the Lord in such a way that it is not so? So he he gives us James one, and he ends in verse eight. So we're going to read him these verses, and then from there, I'm going to ask you first of all, what does a double-minded man look like? In this passage, and I just wrote down a handful of things, and perhaps you make a few observations as well. So let me read James 1. Um, remember, in our context of the psalmist is in the midst of trials and afflictions. The, the context of, of, of our psalmist is, is one where he's faced with trials and afflictions. That's where he's saying to be a, a not be a double-minded person. So James 1 Count on all joys, my, my, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, what are some immediate observations? Now, I like things a little bit systematic, so start earlier in the text and walk your way down, except the as opposed to the other way around, right? So let's, let's just walk through this text. What are some, some observations with this, this statement in verse 8? You know, this is, he, he describes this double-minded man. What are some things that characterize a double... What does a double-minded man look like? Let's just... Who asks God for something and then doesn't believe he's going to... So he's asking an unstable man or a double-minded man. He's he's asking, but in his mind, he's not really thinking God's going to either hear my prayer or answer my prayer. What else? He the world and loves the Lord. So he has a mixed emotion about loving the Lord and loving the world as well. What else? He says quite. A, he says quite a bit. Quite a bit in these eight verses, does he not? Man who goes weak in, in trial or starts to get rocked in a trial. So in trials, he's he's thrown off kilter and he's he's wavering or wobbling in trials. Does it have find a sure footing in trials? He says. Counting all joy, so the uh, double-minded man would be, you know, starting with discontentment. They don't have joy in the beginning before that's, the trial. That's the first thing I put. Just walking through, starting the first verse, is he he doesn't have joy, contentment. 
uh, even before, uh, like you said, Cal Jordan, when you when you meet trials of various kinds, so he's he's discontented, he's unhappy. Isn't the case whenever you're take take something very uh, fun, just very practical for you? And you, if you're in your workplace and you don't like who you're working for, you don't like what you're doing, and you develop that discontentment, you're going to be unhappy. You, you're not all in what you're doing. You don't go into work. I know it's work. You don't go into work thinking, man, I, I just right, I'm excited about going to work. God's giving me this. I'm going to use my giftings. And you're, you're divided. And you're wishing you were something else. How many of you can wish you're, some, you're somewhere else and be happy and content with where you're at? You're not. You're wishing you're somebody somewhere else. And once you start developing that in your heart, and you see that in, in ministry, you see that in people's jobs, they, once you start developing the discontentment with where you're at, you get a mean boss, an unfair boss, unfair job. They're asking too much. Once you start developing that in your heart, well, those passions start start being divided, and, and, and it breeds breeds discontentment. The double-minded man also, verse 7, says, must not suppose that he will receive anything. So a lot of times they have an expectation that they'll get what they want. So un, unfounded expectations, wrong expectations. Right. They come with that. I walk through it again. These are just observations. It's not... Uh, that's the delay issue. Um, there's a parallel passage, Romans 5, 3 through 5, uh, talks about that. I like the wording in there. Uh, it actually says not only this, but we also celebrate in our tribulations. So beyond just contentment, but celebration. It's actually <coughs> celebrating uh, our trials and tribulations. Yeah. That's, that's a hard thing to grasp because it's completely against our flesh. And there's different layers of that, and actually, those different layers probably reflect to what extent we're, we're passionate about one thing more than than the other. And the more Christ becomes our our sole passion, and the more we become a single mindedness in our faith, then you go from a, a, a general contentment to God allowed this, and you know I don't understand and grieving through all that, but I don't know why. But to to actually celebrate what God's doing and just see that level of of commitment, I put down lack of joy, uh, contentment, uh, lack of steadfastness that, that uh, Nathan was talking about. Um, the, what's the what's the opposite of being steadfast? Being being fickle, being unstable. Um, lack of completeness uh, talks about let steadfast have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. So a person that uh, is a double-minded person and a single-minded person is is he likes when we talk about being complete is that maturity so he likes maturity he doesn't have the spiritual maturity he's uh, that completeness is is lacking um, spiritual immaturity you can't be a spiritual mature person and have mixed passions or conflicting passions. Uh, and you have to know in your own heart, and there's probably ways we can kind of describe this, when something becomes a greater passion than it should. Well, when it causes anxiety, then you know something's taken precedent over a single-mindedness for God. Whenever that thing rises to that, then you need to know how to, to like Jerry said, speak truth to that and uh, put it back in its proper place, proper perspective. Lacks wisdom. Right, verse five. If he likes wisdom, let him ask God. He gives generously to all. So, uh, a a conflicted person, a double-minded person. Sometimes, some people are in a double-minded and and in a conflicting passions in their life, and then they they lack wisdom to make the right decisions, and they wonder why. 
And they're, look, and they're searching for wisdom. They're searching for answers. They're not getting them. Well, it goes back to the heart issues that they have in their heart have conflicting passions about and is rarely something that happened overnight. It's something that they invested in, something they poured in money into, something that they poured time into, and something that maybe in the beginning was very innocent and very, you know, very simple, all of a sudden grew to something that it shouldn't have been and shouldn't be. And now there's, now we're searching for wisdom, and you're, and you're saying, well, this is not a very difficult decision. I mean, when you have, I counseled a man once, and uh, he was actually praying as to whether or not God was telling him to stay with his wife or go with the new woman that he had on the side. I said, I could kind of answer that question for you. Let me just speak for God here. Let me just speak for God here. As you're waiting for the... <laughs> yeah, let me... I, 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 wait a minute. I, oh, oh, yeah, I got that. I, heard, I, got, I caught that. Well, because he's... <laughs> because when you start living in sin, and you let that sin take root, now all of a sudden, wisdom, discernment, wow, all of a sudden things become very... Flu, very foggy, very, very confusing when they, they shouldn't have been. And uh, especially when, when Scripture speaks so clearly to some of these things. I put verse 6. He says, I let him ask in faith with no doubting. You know, the person who's a double-minded person lacks confidence. Uh, he doesn't, uh, he, he, he doubts. Like, like Nathan said, when it comes to, to prayer, he's asking, but uh, does God really hear me? Does God really know? Does God really care? Does God... And then we start, we start waffling and start doubting, easily tossed around, lacks biblical convictions. With lack of biblical conviction will come lack of direction. Many, but, but, down, but down, many believers are like, are like fidgets. You ever see those? They're not quite as popular now as they were two years ago, but there's little fidgets. So apparently that's the new key to keep kids steady and stable is for they're, they're fidgeting something. So they get these little spinners. You know, apparently that's supposed to help them concentrate. I don't know. I don't think that experiment lasted very long. Uh, drove teachers crazy and uh, probably parents crazy as well. But this, this double-minded believer who's got conflicting passions like these little fidgets. You know, you're, there's this, you're spinning like crazy, but you're going nowhere. Reminds me of the, of the, the pastor talked about you know you, you grow in knowledge but we never go in an understanding of truth. So you're you're accumulating knowledge and you could quote and you could read and you've got you know a stack high, this high of books next to your bed and you've but your 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 spiritual walk is not maturing and growing. And then last one he talks about the the the, the stability he says I put down you who lacks stability unstable in marriage. He'll be unstable in parenting. Unstable in his walk with the church and service, it, it, it's going to pour out an instability in, in a lot of areas of their lives. And it comes back to the idea of this contrast between loving something more than we love God, as simple as that might be to say that. He starts with verse 113, I hate the double-minded man, but I love your law. And when we're conflicted and we're faced with decisions, we're faced with thoughts, we're faced with truth, and we're not sure what to do, oh, how many times it's our own hearts that are pulling us in opposite directions of God's law and God's truth. And uh, he, he describes from here uh, two, two streams. I put, down, I put down two streams that flow from, from this verse 113 from there. 
the double the person who is a single-minded person versus the stream of the person who is a double-minded person. One stream that we'll see in this passage in the stanza flows from the double-minded man. One quote I read is, Double-mindedness is a cold, dark prison that keeps people from experiencing God's goodness. Double-minded person. The other stream is a single-minded man who experiences a loving relationship between the child of God and his Lord or his word. Really, I've, I've, I've shared this with you whenever I was, whenever I was encouraging my daughter to get married, her and Colton. When, I, when I'm telling them, I said, don't be a nominal Christian. I mean, if, you know, you rejoice when you see your kids get saved. You rejoice when you see them get baptized and make a profession of faith. They're old enough to stand before a crowd and say, I trust Christ. I want to walk with him. You rejoice when they, when they choose godly spouses to marry. But after that... What you want is not a, a lukewarm relationship with the Lord. You want somebody that's all in with Christ. And when I exhorted them on their wedding day, don't be a nominal believer. Don't be one in name only. Be one that is passionate about the Lord and about the things of the Lord. And there are so many things. There's love of pleasure. There's love of self. There's love of independence. There's love of security. There's love of comfort. There are so many loves that come draws away from the love of the word and the love of the Lord. And how many times do we find ourselves conflicted even in making the decision because a conflicting love and passion that pulls us in an opposite direction. We're a little more interested in, in our reputation. We're a little more interested in the comfort that this will bring. We're a little more interested in the security this brings. We're a little more interested in in, in self being edified and, and exalted. All these other things are pulling us away from what it means to single-mindedly love and have a passion for the Lord. I love your law. And therein lies in that one statement the antithesis of, of a double-minded person. Of course, you can't love the law if you don't know the law. So you read it, you love it, and you read it with expectations. Lord, I want to read your word, and I want you through your word to, to reveal uh, your truth to me. So here's a few um, marks of a single-minded man and as you walk through the stands, and then we'll go through and see briefly what a, a double-minded person looks like as well. The first is the evidence in his first one, he loves God's word. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. A single-minded person loves the word of God. How is it evident that you love the word of God? I mean, if you're going to talk to somebody and you're going to minister to them, you're gonna, it could be your child, it could be a friend, what's an evidence of someone that loves the word of God? You speak it and you obey it. It's very difficult to now in our mind. That's why, I like First John, because First John goes on. And he, he always talks about the apparent contradictions. We say this, but we do that. Those things are not compatible. It's amazing how, humanly speaking, two things that are incompatible, we make them sound rational. And I see the extremes of that society. Right? They're taking two things. How, you know, I saw a street survey of of a. Um, pro-life movement and a uh, pro-choice movement and the pro-life movement they're asking so can can only a woman have a child and everybody yes 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 pro uh, pro-choice well i don't know that's complicated and it's amazing how something that that makes total sense no longer makes total sense and, and there's such a there's such a discrepancy between the idea that somehow we love god's word but when we're faced with god's word another passion pulls us away from being obedient to it do you want to say something glenn 
No, I do understand the, the beloved words wanting, wanting to be accountable to it. The desire to be accountable to it. Wanting to be accountable to the word. Let the word be that measure, that rule that keeps that you align your life to, that you align your thoughts to. And when you meet with somebody, when we when you meet somebody, you want their thoughts to be aligned with God's word. You want their thoughts and their lives then to be aligned with God's word. And whenever you're you want to be, I think everyone here was going to be, of course, I want to be a single-minded person. Of course, I want to, be a, I want to have the undivided passion for God. I mean, no one here, I would think, would want to say the opposite, the contrary. But when you're faced with truth, you have to let that passion die for the passion of Christ to rise up and, and be exalted and let Him be exalted in your life. But that moment of decision is one where you're showing where your affections lie. And so, let's be clear Dying to self is a continual, lifelong process. None of us have achieved that. We continually stabbing at self who wants to rise up. Uh, but we continue doing that because of our passion for God's Word and then obedience. So it's, it's evidenced by our response to God's Word. The other thing here, verse 114, a single-minded person finds refuge in the Word. Two things... I mean, do we view the two things, two pictures he gives here? One is that of a shelter, and that, and the other one is that of a of a shield. Is that how we view God's word? Do we God, do we view God's word as uh, a a place where we find refuge in His word and in His truth? He says, "You are a hiding place and a shield." The one we find a place of refuge. And the other we find a protector, our defender. So we have a compounded recognition of his personal security in God. And then a, a, not only as a place of refuge, but as his defender. Is that, is that how I view? Do I go to the word and in my single passion for God's word, I don't go to the word and find out what does the word allow me to do. I go find refuge in him. I go find refuge in his word, knowing that he'll be my shield, my protector, do I view the word that way? But I'll tell you what, the, the moment I am confronted with truth and I decide to go against that truth, I'm getting, I'm doing what? I'm walking away from his protection. I'm walking away from his truth and I'm walking away. And what, what a dangerous place to be. Uh, when I've, and I think I'm parenting often because a, a lot of what we believe, we, we, we parent that way, right? In other words, we believe these truths to be evident and then we, we pass it on to our children. One of the things I see, if, if a child of mine has a problem with, with anger and resentment, I fear that. Not just because of that one moment in time of how they didn't respond correctly, because I know from walking away from that, they're, they're, they're stepping away from the God that is there to shield them, the God is there to, as their, their refuge, and what a dangerous place to be. How many people, unforgiveness, hatred, uh, sin in their lives led them way further away from the truth, and they, no one, no one just walks away from truth thinking, "Oh, I know the consequences. I know the price to pay. I'm willing to pay that price." No, it's five years down the road, ten years later, fifteen years later, you start looking back and you see that, and then you're you're paying that tab on your sin. You're like, "Wow!" You, and you see how people have so wandered from from God's word and being. And the Lord Himself, you are my hiding place and my shield. We've seen the single-minded man in, in his love for God's word, in him finding refuge in the word. 
We mentioned obedience, 115. To, um, he talked about keeping the commandments of God. He keeps the word. He's obedient to the word. A single-minded person is, is obedient to the word. Uh, and he, he qualifies this in 115 by saying, Depart from me, you evil doers. What's the purpose of him separating him? Now, you talking about evildoers. What's the purpose specifically in 115 to depart from evildoers? He says, That I may. In other words, these evildoers, that would keep him from serving God fully and freely, choosing to depart from such so that he would be faithful to to God's word, so he can serve God freely. Um, verse 116, he finds strength in the promises of the word. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live. He finds strength in the word. Uh, and then we, we talk about um, 117 and 120. The single-minded person finds strength in the word, and single-minded person has regards for his statutes continually. And then verse 120, I'm going to just end on this one. I'm reading through these, but we come back and look at some of those next week, and we'll pick back up. And the last one is verse 120. A single-minded person has a, a righteous, reverent fear of his judgment, given an account for uh, his actions. It's a... It's a. It's an. I love this. This thoughts not only because it just reminds me of how I'm confronted with the idea of being a double-minded person versus being a single-minded uh, with a passion, an unshared passion for God and for God's word. So, a few pictures of what it looks like to be a single-minded man in these verses here. And then next week we'll pick up and see the marks of a double-minded man in this passage as well. Uh, we'll finish that up next week before taking on the next stanza. So, trust you have a wonderful and beautiful day. Trust your those Jane. We always tell ourselves the same thing. Because listen, if it's going to be us and Fred for lunch, we'll just sit down and have lunch with Fred, and that's all we stay. So, whatever it is, uh, we'll, that, that's right. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we, we commit this day to you. What a blessing it is, Lord, to to find refuge and solace in your word. Oh, how many times I've ran from that to pursue my own, to allow my other passions and desire to take, take over. Oh, Lord, would you have us be single-minded believers with unshared, unchallenged passion for you and your word. I commit this time to you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.